0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's The Lee Show. Halloween is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, happy Halloween, happy early Halloween, happy fall. I did a corn maze last weekend with the Shapiro family, very loyal supporters of The Lee Show, founding founding members. Um, maybe, should we do a thing where like if you sign up as a founding member, one of the perks is that we do a corn maze together? You think that would uh, entice a lot of people to join? Or should we do something more exciting like we go get a pumpkin spice latte and throw it at a cop and burn down a Target store? Something something that's more like on brand, maybe? Thanks to the Shapiros for their support. Uh, remember, you can always become a supporter by clicking the link in the podcast notes. It's very easy. You remember being a kid and there was this moral panic about people poisoning Halloween candy? I think that was a thing. I mean, I was a kid, like I'm not entirely sure, but I think that was a thing. I don't know if anyone was actually hurt by this, but I perceived that this was a thing. And when I would go trick-or-treating, I lived in a very big apartment building. And when I would go trick-or-treating, my dad would dump the entire bag of candy on the dining room table and sort through it. And back then people would still give out loose candy corns, which is Disgusting. I mean, candy corns are disgusting, even wrapped, but the loose candy corns is really nuts and and they make you feel so sick, candy corns. And you also had to carry around that little UNICEF box. Do you remember that for the cleft palate kids? And so you'd get candy, but you'd also have to carry around that orange box full of pennies and it was so heavy. And then you'd bring it to school and they would pull it all together. I would venture a guess that no more than 5% of that money ever benefited a cleft palate kid. I am reasonably sure that it all went to administrative expenses, to various forms of corruption and grift. I mean, it seems like that was probably not a great exercise in charity. I was never very good at dressing up. One year, I think it was seventh grade, I wanted to be Archie Andrews from the Archie comics. This was before the new Archie TV show where he's like a star of gay cinema. And back then, Archie was just like the ginger guy from the comics who's hitting on Betty and Veronica. So I I had this jacket that really didn't look anything like his jacket, like he would wear a varsity jacket. I just had like this weird canvas jacket and I sewed a giant R on the back of it for Riverdale, the name of his school. And, uh, and then I got this spray that was supposed to make your hair red, but it wasn't, it wasn't red like the way people have red hair. It was the kind of red that, that says, I sell my body and I go to raves and maybe I'm a missing child and maybe I'll become an active shooter. Like this wasn't the right shade. So the whole thing didn't work. No one had any idea what my costume was. I never did anything too offensive as a costume. I never did blackface or any of that. I don't I don't even understand that. Like why was that appealing? Why did anyone think that was a good idea? How come so many politicians seem to have thought that that would be a good idea? It seems just it's not even a good costume. Never mind that it's offensive. It's not even a good costume. In 5th grade, our science class focused on Biology, specifically marine biology, our science teacher was Miss Bousquet, and she had this remarkable body type. She was like a perfect circle from her head to her feet. she just she I guess she looked like an egg is that is that a thing her whole body it was just one big circular shape and a big part of our curriculum in this marine biology was learning about whales, and to do this, we watched a TV show called The Voyage of the Mimi. Now, I don't know if you had this opportunity at, in school. We watched the entire thing. We only had science class once a week and there were like 12 episodes. So it took an entire trimester to watch this program and they would wheel in the TV on the cart with the laser disc player underneath it. You remember laser Those surely went away pretty fast. I, I don't know that I ever saw them used for anything other than Academic stuff. Like I don't know if movies were ever released that way. Anyways, the the show is about the crew of this boat, and they go to like study whales. And Ben Affleck was the star of the show, or one of the stars of the show. And my favorite part—I don't—I don't remember learning anything else from it. But my favorite part was when uh, someone falls into the water, into the ocean, I guess, and they get really cold, and they're suffering from hypothermia. And so they all make it to shore, and Miss um, Bousquet pauses the movie and asks the class, what's the best way to treat this person? And everyone assumes it's like you have to put some blankets on him. It turns out, by the way, that is not the best way. Blankets only serve to trap the heat that your body generates. But if you're hypothermic, you're not generating enough heat, the blanket won't do you much good. Instead, much to our amusement, all of the people on the Mimi strip down to their underpants And then they hold you close under the blankets with you and their body heat warms you up and it warms up the blankets. And then I guess you like come back to life. I thought this was hysterical in fifth grade. I'm, I'm a little surprised by the way, that this is not like a more common excuse or approach to trying to hook up. Like before there was Netflix and chill, it could be like, I'm cold. Can we get down to our underpants and help prevent hypothermia? Anyways, that was one of two memorable film series that I remember watching in school. The other one was much later, was in high school. My freshman year in French class, we had to watch this series called French in Action. And, you know, I I loved learning French. I hated French classes. Maybe I had bad teachers. I don't know. But there's this idea that these language classes have to be immersive and if the teacher only speaks in that language, you're going to learn it better, and you're going to develop a better accent. But what if you don't understand what they're saying? Then it's just noise and And I think that was my experience and and certainly for a number of other people that I know, that's their experience. It's like there's just someone talking at you in another language, and you have no idea what they're saying, and then you just feel lost, and it's a a very unpleasant experience. You don't really learn anything I, I think they they jump to this immersive stuff too quickly. Like they should spend more time teaching verbs and tenses and conjugations and vocabulary stuff that you can memorize and then move to immersion. That's my opinion. What do I know? So French in Action was this video series that followed these two people, Mireille and Robert. And they'd go about life in Paris and they'd sometimes hang out and Robert wanted to smash. He had a big crush on Mireille. And this was... 1996 so it was before the internet was useful for anything it was long before google and this rumor started to spread at school that miray had done porn which i mean great she was she was a smoke um, you can find in in the substack uh, uh, for this episode you'll find a, a couple of photos of miray not nude photos just regular photos so we would go to this language lab on, uh, on upper campus at Choate. And we'd spend 30 minutes watching the French in action videos with those headsets with like the foam thing over the earpiece that was never comfortable and just hurt your ear and your head. And then sometimes you'd have to record yourself on a tape doing segments in French and then you'd get graded on that. You know, I was, I was a weird dude in grade school I was a weird dude in high school, but I was determined to reinvent myself. Like I, when when I got to high school, I was like, this is a new school. No one here knew me previously. I'm going to be a new me. The problem was I had no idea how to conduct myself. So very quickly, everyone realized that I was weird. Maybe I was a little less weird than I had been, but like, it was pretty obvious. And I, I was, you know, a, a, a horny... 14 year old boy. I wanted to hit on girls. I had no idea how to do that. All I knew was there was this Eddie Murphy movie from 1992 called Boomerang. And it's about this guy who's a business executive and he's a womanizer. And then he gets this new boss who treats him the way he's treated women. And it's like a whole lesson about the golden rule. But everything I knew about how to speak to women, I had learned from watching. Boomerang. There's this scene where he hooks up with this girl, and then he and 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 then she falls asleep. And while she's asleep, he he pulls the blanket back a little bit, and he sees that her feet are disgusting, like a werewolf. So he just like takes off, and he's like, "No go. I'm not a foot person. I've never. That's not a fetish that I've been into." But like, I thought that was such a funny move. And and he has this this line he always uses. He can never remember these women's names, and so when he sees them or they call him, he goes, "Hey, you." And I thought that was so suave and sophisticated. Just, hey you, what's up? Like and and freshman year of high school, I I was weird. I did all kinds of weird stuff. I told everyone at school that I owned 29 pairs, pair, pairs, I don't know, of Oakley sunglasses. By the way, I owned one pair and they were prescription, but I had contact lenses, so I never wore them. Also, I don't know what kind of weirdo gets prescription. Oakleys don't don't do that. Uh, So I I don't know. Maybe I was like nervous or trying to impress people or insecure. And somewhere in the spring of my freshman year, I met a girl. She was a year older than I was, and we flirted like successfully. I flirted with her, and the next day she called me, and I had caller ID. I knew she was the one calling me, but I answered the phone with "Hey, you," and I thought I was a fucking Don Juan. I mean, I thought I was so smooth the way I did that. And we started dating. We started hooking up. This was the first girl that I slept with. And let me tell you, I was not ready for that. I was 14 years old. I was not a mature 14. I was precocious, but not mature. And I think there's a difference between the two. The first time we hooked up, we had two songs playing. The first was a song called Not an Addict by Kay's Choice. You remember that? That song, it has this moaning sound that sounds almost sexual, but it's actually about heroin, which I only realized yesterday when I listened to the song again. And the other song was, uh, Freshman by the Verve Pipe, which is also a, is that what it's, they're called? The Verve Pipe? I think I gotta look that up. It's a, it's a very depressing song as well. Let's see. Freshman by Verve, yeah, by the Verve Pipe. That's right. Um, it's a very depressing song. I think it's about abortion or something. Um, I, she thought it was cute because I was a freshman and she was a sophomore. I, you know, I, I very quickly confused sex and love. I didn't know they were different. I should have known. Uh, when my, my mother came up to school at the end of that year to help me pack up my stuff, she found an empty box of condoms in my desk drawer. And that night she asked me if I wanted to talk about it, which no, of course not. And the next day, my father said to me, I want to give you two pieces of advice. First, remember that it's not all about you. It's not over until both of you are happy. And second, don't confuse sex and love. They are not the same. And he's right. The first bit I kept in my head forever He's absolutely right. It's about both of you. And we can talk more about that some other time. The second bit of advice, I didn't really hang my hat on that one as much. I should have. That that summer, I uh, I turned 15 that summer and I went on a, a teen tour, Weissman teen tours. I don't even know if that still exists anymore. It was like this group of 35 kids traveling around Europe for five weeks. And it was incredible. There was a girl on the trip named Liz and I maybe mentioned her before this trip before. I don't know. She was three years older than I was. She was blonde. She was pretty. She was smart. And she was reading The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And, and I thought that seemed very sophisticated. And we we chatted and became friendly that summer. She was way out of my league. But when I got back home, I immediately got a copy of this book. I devoured it. And then I moved on to Atlas Shrugged. And I read that. And so so my... That 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 whole school year, my sophomore year, I was insufferable, constantly talking about Ayn Rand and ranting about community service and God knows what. But it was also the year that I think I had a, a kind of intellectual awakening. It was when I became fascinated with economics and understanding capitalism and the Cold War and the Enlightenment, and it, it just it was it was so interesting to me. And and this girl, my my uh, my girlfriend from freshman year, we we. Uh, we dated that whole school year. It was terrible. She was really messed up. I mean, she was severely depressed. She had major emotional issues, like really severe. Probably needed permanent or semi-permanent institutionalization and medication. But I thought this was just my destiny. Like I thought, oh, "Okay, this is the person that I'm going to marry. There's no one else for me. This is life." And and I just I went through that the entire the entire year. You know, the the following summer the school that that we went to, Choate, had a uh, summer program to study abroad in Paris. And it sounded amazing. Like you live with this French family, you take classes in French and, and in art history, and then you go to museums every day. I mean, it sounded incredible. And both my girlfriend and I applied to the program. And she found out very quickly that she was accepted. But I didn't find out. Every day I would go to check my mailbox and there was no news. So eventually I went and I asked the dean of the school. And I was like, What's the deal? How come I haven't heard back about this trip? And he's like, You know, Lee, we gotta tell you, we're not sure if you are mature enough to be able to go on this trip. And and he was probably right. Like I wasn't. But finally, about two months ahead of the trip, they tell me that they're gonna let me go. And I was thrilled. The trip was Run through Choate, but it was only about half Choate students and half these like gross outsiders. And before we left for Paris, we had this three day orientation on campus. I was like super excited. I mean, I, the, the whole month of June that year, I was excited. I went to my first concert, a Dave Matthews Band concert at Giant Stadium. Thought that was incredible. And and you know, here I am getting ready for this summer program. And when we get to school for the orientation, there's this guy who didn't go to school with us. He's a year older than I am. And my girlfriend starts flirting with him immediately. Now, if I had any good sense, I would have said goodbye, good riddance, and like, that's it. But I didn't. I was jealous. I was really jealous. And I was seething with anger, and it was horrible. And we got to France. And it continued nonstop for a week where she was flirting with him and ignoring me. Finally, one day, our, our, the entire group on our program went to this park and we were getting ready to go on some activity. We had to pair off in teams and I asked her to go with me and she said, no, she was going to go with this other guy. And I was stunned. And I did something that you should not ever do. I slapped her like hard and open-handed you should not ever hit women. You shouldn't hit anybody. But I slapped her right across the cheek and the other guy shoved me. I fell backwards. They all walked off and I was there by myself. I walked about a block away from the park and I sat down on the curb and I cried hysterically. Like the way that you would cry if someone died unexpectedly was very dramatic, but I was so upset that i I mean this jealousy and and the emotion of it was it was just too much, I didn't know how to handle it and After several minutes of sobbing like this, this young couple in their twenties came over to me and they asked me if I was okay, and I told them in my broken French that my girlfriend had dumped me, that I was very upset, and they invited me to come with them to this cafe and have a beer and a cigarette now I've said before that I grew up very sheltered. I meant it. Other kids thought they were cool sneaking away to drink or to smoke when I was in high school. I'd never considered doing those things. It was against the rules. It seemed bad for you. But I was sitting there in this cafe, 15 years old, almost 16, and I had this feeling like I had nothing to live for anymore. And so, fuck it. I might as well. So I drank a glass of beer with this couple. I didn't really like it very much, but I drank it and I got a little bit. Tipsy, and I liked that. And I smoked a cigarette, and that made it feel even stronger. I called my my parents that afternoon from a payphone. I told them I was miserable. I wanted to come home, and they were like, "No, you know, sorry, ain't happening. You're you're staying." And I'm glad. I'm glad I did. I ended up having a great summer. It was 1998. The World Cup was in France, and when the French team would play, my friends and I would go watch at a bar, and I would smoke cigarettes and drink beer, and I thought I was so cool. France won the World Cup that year. It was so amazing. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. We ran around the Arc de Triomphe in big circles until 2 a.m. And we left shortly before some lunatics started running people over there. Um, thank God. I was staying at, at the apartment of this French family on uh, Avenue de Tourville, And they had three kids of their own. They had a boy and a girl who were about my age. And then they had this three-year-old named Vincent. Who I guess must have been an accident because there was like a huge age difference between them. And uh, remember, I, I shared a room with this boy Adam who was uh, on our trip. He thought I was fascinating, and uh, the the mother of the family would make dinner for us every night. And one night we would we would she would Vincent, the three year old would eat by himself, and then later on we would eat with the parents, and so. Adam and I are sitting there with the parents and we're eating dinner and little three-year-old Vincent runs naked into the dining room, jumps on this table and starts dancing while we're eating. And I mean, I did what you would expect. I was, I I laughed. It was hilarious. But the mother of the family was so upset with me because she thought laughing was just encouraging him to do this. But like, I don't know, it's not my fault that your kid runs in naked into the dining room anyway so we, you know we stayed there it it was uh it was delightful it was the most independent i'd ever been i cooked myself breakfast every morning and i bought food at a supermarket for lunch and walked around paris and explored it was, i mean it was it was really cool and staying with this family was cool their, their apartment was like a little i don't know it was like it had that charm of of a european apartment from a while ago without a lot of modern conveniences, I guess is the word for it. So they didn't have a shower, they just had a, a bath, which wasn't really conducive to being clean and looking fresh all the time. But my um my second week there, the girl from the previous summer, Liz, the one who had been reading The Fountainhead, she called their apartment. I guess she had tried to call me at home in New York city. And my mother had given her the phone number of this family in France. Like thinking about it now, it seems bonkers that she would call me internationally from a landline back then. Do you know how expensive and difficult that used to be? And she told me she had gotten accepted to Columbia university and she was going to be starting there and she'd love to hang out. And we made this plan. And suddenly I had something to look forward to, but that was I think that was the summer that my addiction really began. Like I started to drink every day when I was there. I found myself looking forward to drinking every day. For a while after I got sober, I blamed it all on that first girlfriend. I I just, I said to myself, if she hadn't dumped me for this other guy, and made me feel jealous and I would never have started drinking and then I never would have started doing drugs, which, by the way, is a totally separate story that also involves her. But I, I I just wanted to cast blame for my own choices. It's it's a lot easier to do that than to take the responsibility yourself. and And I didn't want to. I didn't want to take responsibility for my own actions. So the voyage of the Mimi was useless for anything other than how to treat hypothermia, if you're Ben Affleck. This week, New York City announced that it is phasing out gifted and talented programs for elementary school age children up through fifth grade. I've mixed feelings about this. Like on the one hand, I'm not convinced that sorting children by mental aptitude at age four is such an obviously good idea. Like, I I just, I don't trust that whatever test they use is a good one. I don't trust that it's not something that can just be gamed. I, I don't know. I mean, it just, it doesn't feel like a great system. On the other hand, I think that this obsession with equity and that word popped up a lot in the announcement about this. I think it just means bringing everyone down to the same level rather than elevating everyone to the same level. I think... Intellect, charisma, beauty, these are all things that are doled out in different doses to different people. And we pretend that it isn't true. We pretend that everyone is truly equal. But we all know that as long as those three attributes have value, we won't really ever achieve that equality. And I don't know what causes the differences in intellect. I'm not going to wade into this debate. Whether it's genetic or parental or something else entirely, I'm not interested in being a Charles Murray type. But they're getting rid of these gifted and talented programs at schools, and they say they're going to train teachers to just like select the kids who need extra work and do it with them in class. I maybe this is just going to increase the desirability of private schools. You know, Freddie DeBoer had a piece last month about how parents in private schools don't actually want diversity. They want to send their kids to the private schools to keep them away from the diversity. Because to them, diversity is poor kids that are hard to teach. And I think there's probably some truth to that. And maybe now these private schools are just going to be all the more desirable. It's time for a quick word from our sponsor. I love podcasts. You love podcasts. Osama Bin Laden loved podcasts, I think. He was a big true crime buff. And I published the Lee show using Anchor. I think it's a great service. I tested out a number of options. This was clearly the best. They have great sound quality. It's the same company. Anchor is made by the same company that created the weapons that cause Havana syndrome. How cool is that? And it's owned by Spotify as part of their quest to destroy Neil Young. Anchor provides the tools that let you record and edit from your phone, from your computer. I record my audio. I upload it and distribute it to all the major podcasting platforms. It's very easy. They'll get you on Spotify. They'll get you on Apple Podcasts, all the leading players, and you can make big bucks. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I watched the new... Chappelle's special on Netflix. It's controversial, I guess, because he makes some jokes about trans people in it. And he tells this long story about a trans woman who opened for him and she bombed, but then she held her head high. You know, I've watched all of the other Chappelle specials on Netflix. This was the fifth one, I believe. And after I'd watched the first couple, my response was that this is like a conservative white guy in the body of a black man. Like when people talk about white privilege being something that anyone can have, that it's like a, a way of conducting yourself in a way of being, I know what they mean. Because I think of Chappelle. If you read the script of what he says, you would guess that it's like a John Gruden type delivering these bits. Not a middle-aged black guy. And this latest special has become something of a lightning rod. Because I guess if you're conservative, then you have to go like, I love this. It's brilliant. And, and you have to back it. And, and, and if you're liberal, then you have to get really mad because you think he's tra- attacking trans people. My take is a little different. I don't think it's very good. And I also don't think that he attacks trans people. In fact, I think it's the least funny And least compelling special that he's done. That's my first question when judging it. Is it funny? And in this case, no, it really isn't. Like he had two jokes that I chuckled at, but really wasn't funny. Nor was it so emotional and compelling in that way. Like he's done other bits in other specials about trans people that were much more offensive and also much funnier. This was sort of a nothing. But there is one point that he makes that I think is kind of interesting, which is there just aren't a lot of trans people. I mean, I get that there's a few, but I think we as a society are way over-indexing to trans issues. Again, it's not that trans issues aren't important or that that, that, the trans people don't suffer in many ways. It's just not that common. I think that there was this massive industry that was built to fight for gay rights, and rightly so. And they won, or or mostly anyways. I mean, in in Obergefell v. Hodges, the Supreme Court decided in 2015, they did what what, what Congress was unwilling to do or unable to do, and they granted gay marriage rights. It wasn't everything. It was a big one, but it wasn't everything. Much of society seems to have fallen in line after that. And other cultural things related to being gay became a lot more normalized. We're not there 100%, but it's a lot better than it was. But now what do you do with this whole industry? All these lawyers and advocates and lobbyists, they need something to do, some some issue on which to raise money. So they just picked a thing that would be controversial and would drag on for a long time, and they went with trans rights. Now, again, to be clear... I'm not saying that trans people deserve any different rights than anyone else. I mean, I've been talking since 2004 about how weird it is that we have gender designations on bathrooms. And I tend to agree that gender is just like a a weird figment of identity and imagination. I mean, a toilet is just a toilet. We can talk more about this in depth some other time. But I think this topic is in the news all the time now because this industry is pushing it. It gives them something to do as long as it goes on, well, there's a lot of mouths to feed. And this is feeding them. And Chappelle sort of makes this point, or at least he he touches on it. It'd be a lot more interesting if he had made this point. Trans is a pretty niche issue. If anything, it seems kind of weird to me that gay and trans issues have been lumped together. It feels like this trans movement has sort of hijacked gay issues. And and I think they're very different. I think conflating them kind of does a disservice to gay people because there's like millions and millions of gay people. And then there's like nine trans people. So I just thought Chappelle's special wasn't that good. And I was kind of disappointed. I did watch another show on Netflix called Jaguar. I thought that was decent. It's one of these Holocaust revenge stories. There've been a bunch of these. There was the one with Al Pacino a few years ago. There was the movie with Oscar Isaac where he goes after Eichmann. I remember reading the book about that, The House on Garibaldi Street, which was terribly written and and I mean it was like total Chinglish, but it, the the suspense was still so palpable. And of course there's Inglorious Bastards, which was such a great movie. I'm a big fan of this revenge genre. Um this new one Jaguar takes place in Spain. It's a similar type of storyline like a group of survivors that are trying to find some Dr. Mengele type character. The production value is great. There's a few holes in the plot, but overall, I'd, I'd recommend it. Thank you again for listening. If you are not already a paid subscriber, please become one. It's easy. Just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you two seconds. You can become a paid supporter on Substack too if you prefer that. Thank you in advance for your support. Remember that you can find me on Substack, on Instagram, on Twitter, And uh, I truly appreciate you listening. I'll be back with more soon.